This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, hey, welcome to Disability Law Show. Good to have you along again this week. John Scholes here, Martin Willems, uh, who's working, by the way, sent for you to Mark and LLP. The most positively reviewed law firm in the country covering uh, all of the information here today. You want to reach out any time to Martin or a member of his crew. They're always uh, ready to talk to you. Have a chat. 1-855-821-5900. Email that we're going to refer to very shortly is help at disabilityrights.ca. There's yet another way to ask questions anonymously called mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll be pulling content from there as well. And there's all kinds of uh, short, brief, and easy to read and easy to understand memos about LTD. That a lot of this might pertain to your particular case or some of you know who's uh, who's dealing with this sort of sort of thing. And that is ltdfaq.ca, like frequently asked questions. Ltdfaq.ca. So, uh, so there you go, there you go, Martin. Good to have you along in the show again today, pal. Good to hear from you. Where do you want to? Where do you want to start off? You want to start with emails? You got a case to talk about off the top? What say you, pal? Well, thanks, John. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think we can dive right into the week that was because we've got a bunch of questions that have come in through the, the listenership and people have contacted us through emails and visited the ltdfaq.ca website. So yep. we, we can jump right into that if you want. Sure. First one's going to be from uh, AJ, who's in the, the West Side, says, uh, I've just found your uh, your show on TV. By the way, it is there, disabilityrights.ca, the um media tab you'll find links to our television show but back at it. it says i just found your show on tv very insightful i've just requested my policy from my insurer at the end of 18 months they asked me to apply for cpp disability i did i was subsequently denied however they asked me to appeal unbeknownst to me i did so i've requested my policy to see if it's a requirement of my policy should it not be a requirement should i contact the government and cancel my appeal seeing as the money would then be taxable and uh, would most likely be subjected uh, subject to 15 to 25% tax going forward until I'm 65. They also sent me a letter in March of this year asking if I applied for CPPD for my kids. Would that also subject me to a reduction of my disability benefits if I'm eligible for CPPD benefits for my two kids? Regarding surveillance, can they surveil your web search and web traffic, i.e. being on this website? I'm using a VPN at the moment, so I'm not worried at the moment, but just for other searches, etc. when I don't have the VPN engaged. Thank you, says AJ. Wow, a lot of questions there. A lot to unpack. A lot of questions and a lot to unpack. So let's start with, um, as I always do, basic principles. Uh, the policy... AJ is a contract, and it's a good thing. We've all, we always recommend that you apply to get a copy of your policy so you understand what the terms, conditions, and obligations and rights are under the policy. The fact that the insurance company has suggested that you apply for CBP disability benefits at the 18-month mark, and what he's referring to there is for the first 24 months, most policies have 24 months, it, it would be that you have to prove you're unable to perform the duties of your own occupation. After those 24 months, if it is a 24-month occupation policy, the definition changes to that of any occupation. That's a more difficult thing to prove because now you have to prove that you are unable to perform the duties of any occupation for which you have the transferable mm-hmm. skills. The fact that the insurance company is suggesting that AJ apply for CPPD 
meaning CPP disability benefits, which is a federal government benefit, at the 18-month mark tells me that they're looking at the this what is called the change of definition phase, when it changes from own occupation to any occupation. And the interesting thing there is that to qualify for CPP disability benefits, you have to prove that you have a condition that is both severe and prolonged to the extent that it prevents you from engaging in any gainful occupation. That's the literal definition, which is somewhat similar to the any occupation phase definition in your policy. So the insurance company is looking at that to see if they're going to be approved for CPP, what they're going to be doing with this. The question is, must AJ apply in the first place, which he did, and then he's asking whether he should be appealing, because it seems that, and this is a strange circumstance, that somehow an appeal has been submitted without AJ being aware of it, which I don't, huh. I'm not quite sure how that happened. Uh, but in any event, so he's applying for it. Most policies, if not all group policies, do provide that CPP disability benefits form an offset. In other words, is a deduction from the LTD benefit. The reason for that is when the insurance company negotiated with the policyholder, who would be the employer, premiums were set at a specific rate to account for benefits that would be paid into the any occupation phase, and CPP would then form an offset from that. Now, should he appeal? It depends on the wording of the policy. I'm loath to advise that he not, that he cancels that appeal. Right. Um, ultimately, it will be in his interest if he does get that benefit. But it would be very helpful to have a look at the policy. Now, another question would be with respect to the CPP disability benefits for the children. That is a benefit you get, which is collateral to the CPPD benefit. But is it an offset under the policy? Some policies, not many, do provide that CPP disability benefits for family members, mm-hmm. meaning the children, would form what is called a direct offset, which would be similar to his own CPP disability benefit. But in most policies, many others, it would provide that the CPP disability benefit for children form what is called an indirect offset. So it is relevant to some degree to the calculation of benefits moving forward. Of course, if there were to be a denial with respect to his claim, uh, if the insurance company decided that he no longer is totally disabled, that AJ is no longer totally disabled for the meaning of the policy, at that stage, I would recommend that AJ contact us to see what we can do with respect to discussing his options with him. Then there's another question in terms of surveillance. You know, we've seen this many times. Surveillance is a very controversial topic. Um, Is surveillance allowed blankly? Well, insurance companies resort to surveillance quite often. I have seen cases where the insurance company, the case manager, will send a letter to the insured, meaning the person who's receiving benefits at the time, and request that person to complete a daily log say, let's see what your activities are for the next four weeks. You advise us what you do so we can account for what you are doing to see whether it impacts your disability. Unbeknownst to them, during the time frame that they are completing these activity logs, the insurance company hires an investigator to do surveillance to see when these forms are completed with what this person is reporting their activities were for those four weeks whether it correlates with what the investigator observed through the surveillance. So 
obviously it is not something that anybody would like and unfortunately insurance companies are allowed to conduct surveillance but to the extent that aj is asking can they access his his web searches can they for example hack phones hack bug phones hack website searches i don't believe so there are privacy laws in place but insurance companies can do online surveillance in other words if you belong if you have a facebook page or an instagram account and it's open to anybody and you're posting whatever you want on there insurance companies have often i've seen it happen so many times used investigators to do online research to see whether there is what would be called unfortunately a credibility issue with respect to what the person is reporting their restrictions and limitations are in comparison to what they're doing in their on their facebook pages and the instagram posts so surveillance is a very very tricky to- topic i would advise anybody who has a disability claim to watch what they're doing online to watch if they do have facebook or any other social media account to limit their privacy settings so that not just anybody can go onto those but as far as it goes to these extremely intrusive surveillance processes such as uh, um, as i was saying the the web search etc i don't see that as happening and that would be allowed you know it's interesting martin the whole part with cpp disability and the offset that the insurance company would take advantage of had you been approved or had aj been approved for cpp if he appeals uh, to CPP and gets denied again, they don't give it to him. Will the can the insurance? Because we often talk about on the show that if you don't apply for the CPP disability, the insurance companies say will say, okay, fine. Well, we're just going to estimate what you would have got had you been approved by it. If the if he does get uh, denied again, does not get the appeal through CPP, is the insurance company allowed to do the same thing regardless? Well, just because you didn't get it doesn't mean we can't adjust what our assumption would have been, or 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 the buck stops there. They can no longer do that. You know, I've seen cases where the insurance company has accepted the CPP disability decision by Service Canada and right. just, just moved on paying benefits without doing the estimate. But I've also seen cases where if the CPP disability benefit had been denied and there was no appeal, that the insurance company somehow indirectly relied on that to deny the benefit itself. Oh. So to some degree, it may be in your interest if CPP disability benefits are approved because then at least you can say, look, Service Canada, the government has approved my claim. So the government is accepting that I am totally disabled from working in any gainful occupation. Whereas with the disability benefit in the any occupation phase, it has to be something which you're able to do based on your transferable skill sets. And sometimes if you were earning $120,000 a year, when you're looking at the any occupation phase, um, it, it's not simply can you earn 20000 or 30000 It will be a much higher threshold that right. you would have to earn in the any occupation phase. So can insurance companies simply deduct the estimate if the appeal is unsuccessful? I don't see that happening. If that were to happen, definitely reach out to us and have a discussion with us about your options. You can reach out anyway to Martin and the rest of his team. By the way, practicing in Ontario and BC and Alberta as well. The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out to Martin and BC and his team. Uh, you can email help at disabilityrights.ca and further questions mydisabilityquestions.com. More of your questions on the way. We'll get another one from uh, Calgary just after a short break, which we'll get into right now. Lots more disability law show is on the way. All right, welcome back, disability law show. Good to have you listening to the show. 
today. It's always informative. If you don't even need it now, eventually you may need it, or maybe a colleague or a family member is uh, dealing with an insurance company having been cut off or not approved for their long-term disability and dealing with uh, those hurdles. This is a show for you. Reaching out anytime, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca and the website. You can ask more questions anonymously as well. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. On the show today, our experts, Samfiru Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Martin Willems is uh, usually here with Savannah, but he's, he's flying solo and answering all of your questions as well. Martin practicing out of their uh, BC office, but the firm also working in uh, Alberta and Ontario as well. Next question. We're going back to CPP again. Uh, this time, Martin, like we did in the first one, seems to be a popular topic today. This one from Val says, hey, Martin, I've been on LTD and CPP for almost 18 years. During this time, I have randomly earned bits of money working within my physical limitations from home. My earnings have never exceeded the allowable for working while on CPP, and I have always reported it to my LTD insurer. My LTD policy states that any gross earnings under 20% of my indexed monthly earnings are not deducted from my payment. This year, if uh, this year if I exceed the six hundred and forty uh, sixty four hundred dollar allowable for CPP disability and my claim is closed, is my LTD insurer obligated to pay me for the total claim amount as there will no longer be CPP disability to offset it? My policy book doesn't have any information about this. Thank you very much. A little confusing, but break it down for us, pal. Well, that's an interesting question. So. Val has been on claim, meaning she's been receiving benefits for 18 years. That's a long time. And that's been Mm -hmm. both LTD and CPP disability. And during that period, it seems that Val has some limited capacity to perform some work in which she has earned some money. And the insurance company hasn't been deducting that because it's under the threshold, which I believe from what I'm reading is in the policy to be 20% of her earnings that she was earning before having gone off on disability. CPP disability benefits, in order to receive those benefits, as I said before, you have to prove that you're unable to perform the duties of any gainful occupation mm-hmm. due to an illness that is severe and prolonged. Yes. But it also allows you to earn a certain amount of money. Not a lot, really little. It does increase every year. In this, what Val is referring to, she has been earning money under the 6400 which is the excess amount that you can mm-hmm. earn and still receive CPP disability benefits. So the question now is, what would happen if Val earned more than the CPP disability benefit maximum uh, earnings so that CPPD would be cut off? Would LTD still be paid by the insurance company? We go back to the terms of the policy. The policy requires that if you are unable to perform the duties of any occupation within the meaning of that particular policy, the insurance company has to pay you. But I would say, if CPP disability benefits were to be denied, because Val now is showing the capacity that she's able to earn more than the $6,400, that may start to raise some red flags with the insurance company to see, well, look, if Val's maybe able to earn a bit more money, Maybe if we put in some form of a rehab or something, we can get her to earn a little bit more in order for us to allow us to end her LTD claim. So she should, she should be careful as to how she approaches this. Of course, you have to work within your capacity, but follow the doctor's advice as well. If the doctor says you can do certain things, then follow the doctor's advice. But 
in terms of the insurance company, they're not going to be happy that they're no longer being able to deduct that CPP disability amount. There you go. Val, you want to reach out to any further, you can do so. Martin is always uh, standing by, one 821 Next up will be Jack. And Jack says, guys, at the uh, one-year mark of my LTD, my insurer asked me to apply for CPP disability. They said the test is much harder to get approved for CPPD. And if I was denied, my LTD benefits would continue. I got approved for CPP uh, disability due to my mental health issues on my first application. Do you recommend also telling the insurer I've been approved for disability tax credit as that is not an easy thing to get approved for under mental functioning as an adult? I'm hoping they back off a bit. Okay, so Jack has been on claim for a bit for one year. So in a year from now, he will be approaching the any occupation phase in his policy. His, yeah. his claim for CPP disability benefits was approved on the first application, which is quite impressive because it is true, it is quite difficult at times to get CPP disability benefits approved, considering that you have to prove that your condition is severe and prolonged. On top of that, Jack has also now been approved for the disability tax credit, which in itself is not an easy thing to do. So the question is, should Jack advise the insurance company that his DTC, the Disability Tax Credit, has been approved. I don't see any downside to advising the insurance company on that because it is another process or an application which has accepted that he is totally disabled from working in any occupation, which buffers the CPP disability application and approval and then underscores that LTD should be approved. Now, one thing to be added on the Disability Tax Credit I suppose the reason that Jack applied for this is because CPP disability benefits themselves are taxable. His long-term disability claim may also be taxable. And the disability tax credit will allow him to claim some credits and hopefully reduce his tax consequences. And that reminds me, in response to AJ's earlier question with respect to the concerns about the 15 to 25% tax um, on the CPP, maybe he should also apply for the disability tax credit, which hopefully will lighten the tax flow to some degree. Now, going back to Jack's question, should he advise the insurance company? I agree that he should. He's saying he's hoping that they back off a bit. Um, you know, when you're on a claim with an insurance company, chances of them backing off and leaving you alone are very, very low. The policy requires that you prove ongoing disability in order to receive benefits under yep. the terms of the policy. So the insurance company is probably going to be in his life having ongoing discussions, having ongoing telephone interviews, and may at some point want to start pushing him to do some form of rehab that the insurance company thinks is appropriate. And if that were to happen, then he should have discussions with his doctors about that. And if he feels that he's being pushed too far, reach out to us because, you know, we speak to people on a regular basis every day for people with mental health disability claims, physical disability claims, all types of disability claims. And if there's any question that you have, reach out to us. It's for free. We'll have a discussion with you and give you what you discuss with you, what options are available to you. Jack, appreciate the note and taking the time to uh, to send that along. Here's that number again, one 821 5900 just that simple. Uh, another question, let's roll on down the line to Tom. Short one, but a simple one. Says, uh, I would like to speak to you regarding a short-term disability claim, Martin, that I have uh, submitted for stress. 
I've submitted doctor's notes and the appropriate paperwork, but the insurance company just informed me they're denying my claim. Could you contact me to discuss this matter? Well, why don't we do that little bit of it here? What do you think about that? <laughs> well, thank you, Tom, for reaching out to us. You know, we appreciate questions like this. And mm-hmm. as we've said in other shows before, it's we welcome any question, whether it be from the person who is filing for disability or the person who is thinking about filing for disability or whether it is a friend or a family member with somebody. We, you know, if you're listening to the show for the first time and you know of somebody who has a difficult time with insurance companies, reach out to us because mm-hmm. we can assist. In terms of this question that Tom is asking, he wants to know whether we can assist or at least have a discussion with him about a short-term disability claim for stress that has been denied. He says that he submitted his doctor's notes and the appropriate paperwork, but the insurance company still denied his claim. The, the simple answer is, by all means, yes, reach out to us. Now, there are a few things that I will say on this. Short-term disability benefits would be the precursor that leads to a long-term disability benefit. Okay, it's yeah. normally for about four months. It's called the elimination period in the long-term disability claim. So short-term disability benefits would also require that you have to prove that you are unable to perform the duties of your own occupation. So in some instances, short-term disability benefits are paid by the policyholder, the employer. And in some instances, short-term disability benefits are paid by the insurance company as well. But ultimately, in most, most cases, it is the insurance company, even though they don't have to pay those benefits, who makes the decision as to whether the benefits have to be paid. It's adjudicated basically on the same terms, are you disabled from performing the duties of your own occupation? And if they've denied him based on stress, you know, stress is one of those conditions that the insurance companies don't like because it's deemed to be an invisible illness. And if Jack, or sorry, Tom submitted information from his doctors, he says he submitted notes and the appropriate paperwork, what are his options? The insurance company may have said to him that he's got the right to appeal. That means he has to submit new information to the same entity that denied his claim ultimately. So how impartial is that process? The other option is you reach out to us and have a discussion with us about what your options are because you know you have options. Insurance companies deny claims with respect to mental health claims and stress on a regular basis. The question is what evidence was submitted. In cases with stress, It's not enough, like with depression and any other disability claim, to simply say this person has stress, therefore they are unable to work. What is needed is we need to focus on what is the functional impairment. Stress, mental health, leads to an inability to focus, inability to concentrate, inability to multitask, inability to um, interact with people or handle stressful situations. That is the type of evidence that you need from your doctors when applying for these cases for disability benefits related to a mental health claim. And we see so many of these cases denied because there has been to some degree a lack in the paperwork, but also because the insurance companies simply don't like these cases. And they're going to say to you, well, there's no objective measure to see whether the person is totally disabled as a result of the stressful situation that they're in. So going back to Tom's question, Can you discuss it with us? By all means, yes, because I'm convinced that we will be able to assist and at least have a discussion with him with respect to what his options are. Let me ask you this, Martin. We often talk about, I mean, Tom did not, uh, he did not outline this in his question, so we're not sure if it's work-related, but 
We often talk about the show and get questions from listeners and viewers of the TV show, for that matter, about work-related stress, and that's why they're off. And I know often one of the hurdles that's that's put in front of you from insurance companies is, is saying it's not always true. It, it might have nothing to do with it, but but they'll say, well, it could be simply the work location, the actual physical job where they're working. That is the reason why we're not giving him any benefits. Meanwhile, they, it, it might be way beyond that, if not for the workplace. Yo, you would be fine, but you often find that's not the case. Like if he went across the street to work, he'd still be suffering or she would still be suffering the same the same problems that they have that got them on disability in the first place. Do you find that battle is pretty constant for you? You know, that's such a great question, John, and thanks for raising that. It happens all the time, mm-hmm. especially during the COVID era. I've seen an increase in those situations. I have seen many cases where the person has stress, but they quite often have an underlying condition as well. So there may be bullying and harassment happening at work, which pushes them over the edge. And then their doctors recommend that they stop working because now they have a worsening of their condition. They've been diagnosed with major depression or with a generalized anxiety disorder. They apply for disability benefits. The insurance company turns around and says, look, no, this is not a disability issue. This is a workplace issue. All you need to do is go find a different employer or go work at a different location. Yep. Because the test is, are you unable to perform the duties of your occupation, not your job? Now, of course, that's not as simple as that. Because the real answer to that question is, the person has been diagnosed with a disability now. It is a mental health claim, be it a major depression or adrenalized anxiety disorder. And simply removing them from the stressful workplace and put somewhere else doesn't solve the problem. They need to be treated in order to recover and then go back to work. So it's not as simple as, well, this is a workplace issue. We're going to deny you. Those cases I see so many times. They are more difficult to handle, but we handle them every single day. And if that were to be the case, reach out to us because that is not the right way to handle those cases. And with that, we'll take a short break and more of your questions and stuff on the show here. By the way, anytime you want to reach out as we go to a short one, it's one 821 5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca. We continue. This is the Disability Law Show. And welcome back. Thanks for hanging in Disability Law Show. Got some uh, some time still for you to contribute to the show anytime. As a matter of fact, help at disabilityrights.ca. And to call Martin and his team, 1-855-821-5900. Going to roll down to uh, to Bev's note here. And Bev from, from Surrey writes in, says, Hi, guys. I've been living with depression for many years, but managed to work throughout In late 2020, I suffered a loss of a very close family member. My depression worsened, and I've been living with feelings of grief ever since. My doctor is concerned about my mental health and has suggested I stop working. I have difficulty focusing on anything else but my loss, and I'm worried that if I go off off on work, my disability claim will be denied, as if I had depression for many years and managed to still work. I'm not sure what to do. Well, Bev, I'm very sorry to hear of your loss. Um, you know, especially in the time that we're living now, over the past two years, we've seen lots and lots of mental health cases on the rise due to people being isolated, people suffering losses like this, loss of work, loss of interactions with family, loss of contact um, due to isolation. And then very sadly, cases like yours where a family member has been lost. So... I've also seen cases where the insurance companies have denied cases because the person has been living with a mental health disorder or other disorder for many years and managed to work. 
and then they go off work, then the position would quite often be, well, you've managed to handle it this far. Why now? What, what has changed? Why can yeah. you no longer yeah. work? I've seen, and they would describe these people as resilient and, you know, just buck it up, suck it up, carry on mm -hmm. working. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is not as simple as this should be. So it's an interesting question specifically because Bev is mentioning the loss of a family member that she has suffered. Um, recently, you know, there's something called the DSM-5, which is a manual that psychologists and psychiatrists use um, when looking at mental health disability claims. And it would be recognized as a disability claim in that manual, be it mental distress disorder, like major depression or generalized anxiety disorder. Well. And my understanding is recently um, they've added to the DSM-5 something called prolonged grief disorder, which is has been a controversial topic for a number of years, but it has now been recognized as an actual disorder, prolonged grief, prolonged grief disorder. Wow. And again, because it is in the era of COVID, because so many people have lost loved ones, because so many people have lost and have grief because of other losses in their lives, this is now a recognized disorder and, and requires treatment. And I've looked up some of the symptoms with respect to the prolonged grief disorder, which would be identity disruption, marked sense of disbelief about the death. And in these cases, other than just, and I don't want to call it general because it is such a profound loss, a loss due to a death in the prolonged grief disorder, the duration of the person's bereavement exceeds the expected social, cultural, or religious norms, and the symptoms are not better explained by any other mental health disorder. And you know what? I'm expecting that we will see lots of these types of claims, especially in the context when somebody was already living with another mental health disorder, because it predisposes them to a worsening of their mental health. And I think it sounds like this is what Beth is experiencing. She was living with depression for so many years, and managed to work, but then suffered this loss, which impacted her depression, and she's now speaking about the feelings of grief. So in this context, her doctor is suggesting that she goes off work um, because the doctor is concerned about her mental health. So a few things to be said here. The first thing is, I always people would ask me, what should I do? Should I go off work? I'm concerned the insurance company is going to deny my claim. Mm -hmm. I would say follow your doctor's advice. Speak to your doctor and do what your doctor says because I'm not a doctor. Your doctor is in charge of your mental health or in charge of your health. And if your doctor is feeling that there is a concern, that things make it worse, if you don't stop working, follow your doctor's advice. This is similar to the previous question as well in relation to the stress. What would happen then if the insurance company were to deny this claim? few things to be said. If Bev is going off of work, it sounds like she will have a doctor on board already, which goes a long way. The doctor should, as I said before, prepare a detailed account of why it is that Bev is unable to work. That means speaking about the restrictions and the limitations that she has as a result of her mental health disorders. And it sounds like there's more than one now. So the doctor will be speaking about why it is that she's unable to do her duties. In another case, it would be helpful if things weren't getting better, that the doctor refers Bev to a psychiatrist because having a psychiatrist on board will also go a long way. 
But as I said before, I've seen many, many cases denied by insurance companies when the doctor was on board, when there was a psychiatrist on board, when they gave detailed and accurate accounts as to why the person was disabled from performing the duties of their own occupation. And in those cases, what often happens is the insurance company may have an in-house doctor who decides whether the person can work or not, regardless of what the doctor has prescribed. For example, the insurance companies may have something called health partners. These are doctors on retainer. They would not have met somebody like Bev. They would not have examined them. They would not have spoken to them. Yet they will only perform what is called a file review and then still deny the claim, which is so unfair. And, you know, it, it just sits wrong with me because the insurance companies don't have any clue as to what's happening with Bev in her personal life. Her doctors do, yet they feel in a position to tell Bev in cases where there is a denial that they are actually wrong, their doctors are wrong, and that they should get back to work. And in those cases, you know, Sivan speaks about this many times. We've had people come to us so desperate. They've been through the appeal process. We got involved. We pursued a legal claim, and we resolved those cases many times for in the six-figure numbers. So there is a recourse if there were to be a denial of your claim, Bev. You get on the phone and speak to us because we can discuss your options with you. Bev, we hope that uh, that uh, very uh, detailed answer helped. Uh, you want to move on to a phone call with Martin and his team, you could do so. That would be no problem. And to carry on a further conversation in a little more detail, one 821 5900 is a way to do that. You already used the email address, but you also have the option for more questions. And you as well, if you're listening to the show today, mydisabilityquestions.com. And very easy and concise notes and uh, information about LTD anytime can be had at ltdfaq.ca, ltdfaq.ca. A few more minutes to go and try to get to some more stuff here on the show as we uh, as we uh, wrap for the day. But before we do that, I'll give you the phone number one more time, one 821 5900 We'll continue after a break. More of the Disability Law Show is coming up. Welcome back. Disability Law Show back here again for another week. Martin Willems is your guy you want to reach out. It's one 855 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. Moving down to Russell's email. Russell writes in, says, I was uh, recently let go from my job and I was offered severance. I didn't sign the papers yet. I'm currently on long-term disability, but that is coming to an end in three months because I've reached the two-year mark. My doctors say that I can't go back to work yet, and I'm just trying to understand what my options are now that I have no job and I'm being cut off disability. I'm 53 years old, and I worked as a product engineer. Here we go. Well, Russell, quite a few things to be said about this situation. I'm sorry that that your job is being terminated. Having said that, you know, it's fortunate that at our firm, we handle both employment matters and disability claims, which these things quite often overlap, as you can see in Russell's case. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely recommend that Russell reach out to our firm and speak to one of our employment lawyers because we also have hybrid lawyers who deal with both. So you want to know what is happening on the employment side and how that will impact the disability side because quite often they do interact and they do affect each other in a case like this you know many people out there other lawyers may dabble in various different areas you want to be speaking to people who know what they're doing and who are focused on these types of claims so with respect to the severance issue policies disability policies do often provide that severance forms an offset. I know that 
Russell has not yet signed the forms, but it would be very helpful in this case to figure out what exactly this policy provides for. Because if severance is not mentioned as a deduction in the direct offset paragraphs or in the indirect offset provisions, then Russell probably won't be affected. But it is something that we would have to see what does it say in that policy. Also, Russell seems to say that his disability benefit will end because he's reached the two-year mark. Russell, mm-hmm. do not just accept what these, uh, this insurance company is saying to you. Yes, it may reach the two-year mark, but that doesn't mean it has to end. Your doctors tell you that you are not ready to return to work. So, as I said before, these disability policies often have two definitions. The first one is the own occupation, which has the 24-month period or the two-year mark that Russell's referring to. Beyond that, it is the any occupation phase. Russell is 53 years of age. This coverage likely will go to the age of 65. So there's another 12 years left on this. If Russell is unable to perform the duties of any other occupation within his transferable skill sets, in other words, based on his education, training, and experience, and that would pay him a certain percentage of what he was earning before, then he should still be entitled to long-term disability benefits under this policy. I see this so often when insurance companies deny claims at what is called the change of definition. And people think, oh, my goodness, I just have two years, so that's it, I'm done. You're not done. The insurance companies deny this quite often because they use that change of definition as leverage to deny your claim. Mm -hmm. If you have the doctor's support, and it sounds like you do, Russell, it means then that this insurance company should continue to pay your benefits because you are still disabled from the definition of any occupation. So if that, if they were to deny a claim, it sounds like they have, you know, we've spoken about appeals before. Appeals literally mean appealing to the same entity that denied your claim. And I wouldn't advise that. I would advise that you contact us, discuss with us what are your options, not just with respect to this disability claim, because there clearly is a claim to pursue there, but also with respect to the severance before you assign any documents so that you know what your options are and more so how the two of them impact each other. And that luckily is something that our firm does. Nicely done there, Russell. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Now, let me ask you this, uh, Martin, when when a disabled person uh, retains your firm to represent them, right? Against their long-term disability insurer, do you take an upfront retainer? Does a a disabled person need to pay anything upfront? Because that's what people, you know, mistakenly hold them back from. Oh, I don't want to pay you guys. I I can't. I'm on disability, so on and so forth. I I can't afford to pay you guys. Why would I? Why would I retain you? Right? Such a great question. You know what? I've had that from people who phone me and they're cautious and they say, well, I I wanted to reach out to a lawyer, but I'm I'm concerned that I don't have any money to pay you. Well, good news. Mm -hmm. We do not take an upfront retainer. We work on what is called a contingency fee. We only get paid if you get paid at the end of the claim. And even more so, good news. When you reach out to us, these initial consultations, we'll speak to you for free. If you just want to discuss your options with us, For the first time, you can pick up the phone or send us an email. One of our lawyers will reach out to you, review your documents, and have a discussion with you for free to discuss what your options are. But if we are retained, no, there's no upfront retainer. And you know, we understand that in this situation, when your disability claim has been denied, and some people have been involved in appeals, maybe for a year or so, they've had no money coming in, where are you going to get the money to pay upfront? So we fortunately can provide and offer this type of service where we only get paid at the end. In other words, there's no upfront retainer. 
So do not be afraid to reach out. Do not be afraid that you're speaking to a lawyer. We're there to help. We're there to try and assist you with the, these disability claims. And we know how stressful it is. So we can really alleviate that stress by assisting you. You know, and the the other positive thing about that that people don't often think is because that's the way you work, you're just not, uh, you know, you just don't have your hands open taking every case that comes by your desk. If it doesn't, if it, first of all, it's not legit, you're not going to touch it, obviously. But if there's no means to an end to help somebody out, why would you put them through the stress of taking on a case that's not going to bear fruit in the end? I mean, it's, it makes no sense. So if someone does retain you and they and they bring you on as their law firm, they're in pretty good hands at this point because they're, they're, there's a point to their claim, right? There definitely is a point to their claiming. You know what? We discuss these cases with people at the initial consultation. If I think that there is no claim to pursue, I say that to them. But yep. if I think there is a claim to pursue, and I can tell you it's the vast majority of them, almost every single person has a claim. Because ultimately, think about it. If you go off on disability, your doctor completed a medical r report in support of that. So your doctor is in support of this. You're not going to be able to file a disability claim without a doctor's right. support. Right. So if the doctor has completed a form and they've denied your claim, you've got your doctor on board and most likely you're going to have us on board as well. So uh, for the vast majority of these cases, we can assist. If there really is a claim, I think, well, unfortunately, this is just not going to go anywhere if the person is ready to return to work or they're basically at the point where they are going back to work. Mm -hmm. Yes, there may be a reason not to say, well, look, I don't think that there is a claim here. But as I said, most of them, there is a claim. And you know, it helps because lots of people don't want to deal with the insurance company anymore because they find it so stressful dealing with the case manager, having to have ongoing discussions, receiving emails from them, receiving letters in the mail, especially when it becomes threatening to the extent that they have, we're going to cut you off or we're going to we've cut you off. You're not participating in what we think you should be participating in. When we get involved, you don't deal with the insurance company anymore. You deal, we deal with them. We take on that discussion. We take on the correspondence. I deal with uh, them and their lawyers. So to some degree, our clients are protected from that at least and can focus yeah. on what is most important, meaning their health. Focus on getting better. Focus on getting the better treatment while you don't need to deal with the insurance company. And again, we do it on a basis where you don't pay us up front. And that'll do it for another show. You want to reach out now that we are done for today. Martin's standing by always and ready to talk to you. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we use. And going forward, you can also go to mydisabilityquestions.com. And we'll talk to you next time on the Disability Law Show. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.